Father, we pause this morning as we approach this portion of our morning worship to consider your word. And we pray that we handle it with the love and care that it deserves. For it is truth. And we pray that such truth um, might be um, found as the source of our encouragement and enlightenment. Uh, that we might be able to make good application of it, that your spirit would take it and, and help us to make such choices and decisions and to be able to stand in such a time as we live. Thank you for your love and care for us. And as we've come from various locations and various backgrounds uh, and come to this place to approach your word, we ask that our hearts would have the attention upon your word as not from the servant, but from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And bless these things, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We come today to the second part of our Psalm 27. Last Lord's Day, we looked at the first three verses and saw out of David's own heart, his own conviction, a number of, of uh, uh, principles of confidence that he had in God, uh, despite facing numerous temptations and trials, even his life being threatened. Um, and yet he was able to come out of that with tremendous hope. And for us as Christians, likewise, we pray that we would find the confidence and continue to reassure ourselves in the confidence that God has given us uh, the hope as a platform upon which we live. Uh, verses four through six is the section upon which we'll look at today. And sad to say, we're not going to be able to finish all of these, but I think what we have will be sufficient. Um, again, David writes this uh, on the basis of his confidence and hope in God. Um, and he's, again, continuing to expose his heart uh, by this confession. Verse 4, one thing, have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock, and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle, sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. God bless to our hearts the reading of his word. Again, the purpose of the Psalms, obviously they were sung, Old Testament uh, Jewish uh, ritual uh, um, offering in, in worship, but they come, I think more so than any other portion of scripture, out of the experience of the author the things that were going on, the things that took place in his life, that were surrounding him. And although we may not necessarily find ourselves in the exact situations, I think we can commiserate at times of uh, the things that, especially as David has here. Um, I want you to catch the wording there of verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. One thing. If you think of all that David could have asked, you know, he's got one thing in his mind. A number of years ago, Dr. A. Dudley Dennison, his Christian medical doctor, wrote in a book entitled 
windows, ladders, and bridges. And it's a matter, I think, as interesting as we consider David's life when he speaks of one thing, matter of priorities. Dr. Dennison writes, not long ago, a survey was taken of men who had survived heart attacks in their 40s. Most reported that these coronary episodes had made them confront, as never before, the whole question of life's purpose and how to live it. Several of the men felt that having a coronary was the best thing that ever happened in their lives. They felt that they had been wasting their lives up to this point, and a new chance they now had to reorder their priorities might otherwise have never come. One man reported that as, a, as one form of therapy, his doctor had given him the assignment to write a clear statement of what he wanted to accomplish with the rest of his life. For the first time in years, that man seriously took stock of where he had been going and where he should be going with his life. Another man expressed gratitude to the nurse who had a great deal of experience in taking care of heart patients. She had been able to make him feel that he was a very fortunate man because relatively early in life, he had been warned against what she described as, quote, breaking your heart, chasing rainbows that can't be caught and would otherwise be worthless if they had been. What happened to these victims of heart attacks needs to, be, needs to happen to more of us. That is, we need to reassess our priorities in this life. Each of us has needs to be constantly reassessing the goals which each of us have, have had in this life. Not wishing a heart attack on anybody, but it can come with all types of, of, of uh, doctor, uh, doctor's words, you know. I don't know how much time you have to live, you know. So what are you going to do with it? And I come to this place here, and I'm thankful that we have a gracious God who allows us to reassess our priorities and our times, you know. These men were given such an opportunity, and the scripture, I think, here gives us a clear and concise picture of David's heart and where his priorities were focused on. He tells him, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. Just not having a priority, but he's saying, I'm, I'm directing my heart's attention to that. That's where I want to go, one thing. Whether you agree with or even understand the principle or not, the truth is that man's heart needs to be single-focused. And I'm not talking, when I say that, about just having one thought in my mind, you know, like one chant I continue to repeat, one area. But there has to be a main focus in life, a main direction upon which we are to live, and men have to do that. And when it isn't, allegiance is divided, there's trouble to be had. A spouse who is not single-focused upon being the husband or a wife to that other spouse is going to be in deep trouble if there's a divided allegiance. A student whose classroom studies all of a sudden have 
had a priority taken over with uh, uh, um, social media. Uh, pretty soon they're going to find out the troubles of, of life when they have not been focused on one. In general, it's true in our physical life, but I think more so in the spiritual life. Jesus said so even in our uh, responsive reading today. Matthew 6, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus says in this particular case, it's serving God and money, but it's the whole principle, uh, concisely put, that there can be no divided allegiance from my heart. There has to be a focus, and obviously he talks about the focus being upon serving the Lord. So the Christian's heart needs to be single and focused, but it also needs to be focused on spiritual things. Christians can be focused on all types of things, and they have often shown themselves to do that. The world is full with successful, famous people who have been single-purposed heart. You know, they've, they've gone their way, and they've, they've shown it. Um, I did a little research and found that uh, Olympic gymnast superstar Simone Biles trains seven hours a day for six days a week, doing the same thing. Now, thank God I was never called to be a gymnast, because I don't think I could just continue to do it again. But her whole purpose was to be the best in the world. And so those are the hours that she gave into that particular task. Elon Musk world's richest man, easily devotes between 80 to 100 hours a week, sometimes 120 hours a week, for the single purpose to be the top man, to be whatever it was in SpaceX or in, in Tesla or whatever endeavors that he's involved in. He says, this is my single purpose to do that. And the world does it. The world does it. Yet we all recognize that worldly goals are temporal. They're fleeting. They're short-lived. They simply don't provide all that is necessary. The Apostle John said that the world passeth away in the lust thereof. Whatever a man lusted for, the provisions of priorities or wealth or power or whatever, that was a desire for him to give his best, his utmost to meet there. But then all of a sudden, and he's dead. And where did it take him? The movers and shakers of a previous generation are now all forgotten. All that's left is a, a, a marker at a gravestone or a sign on the road saying this was that man's street or this was this person's building at one time. Now they're forgotten. And I'm sure David understood that. I'm sure David relinquished much of his life that could have been and what was struggling with him, yet he now sees as one purpose that he desired to be of the Lord, to seek after such. Victorious living as a Christian requires a heart of wisdom. We must get to the place in life that God is our desire doesn't mean he's my all in all again that I walk around like some monk and that's all that I do is repeat Bible verses and so forth. But there has to be a place in which I say, this is the utmost of my desire of life. 
God cannot take a back seat. He must be the priority and the focus of my life. And as you look around, it's sad to say that many Christians have lived defeated lives because they've had divided attentions, divided priorities. They don't necessarily desire the Lord. They have all of him that they want. They have all of him that they can handle. There's a place that is my life, and then there's a place that's God's, and the two just don't necessarily have to meet. I'm a Christian, and that's fine, but these other areas are mine. That's my personal realm. Let's not go there. Let's not touch that. The truth is we can't seek him only on Sunday and expect to overcome the difficulties of seven days a week and 52 weeks of the year. I can't charge my battery and, 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 and feel it sufficient after an hour, an hour and a half, or two hours, or three hours here in this building and feel that it's going to take me through the unchallenged, unknowing things that are facing me. Stuff that's ongoing in my body, stuff that's ongoing in the people around me, stuff that's going into my country, stuff that affects my paycheck, my everything. I need to be able to say I don't want to live one day without his presence in my life. And that response is really a response from me and not from God. We saw last week the confidence that, that he had uh, was the fact that he understood that God would never leave him or forsake him. But there are times when I find myself wandering away and being distant with God. So as we continue to open this uh, heart surgery on David, Look also here in verse 4, and he find the object of his desire. One thing, desires of the Lord, he wants to seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In 1988, when we returned from the mission field, we had some mission responsibilities, and then we looked for a church to serve in. We found one little church in western PA, and that was our home base for uh, about 17 years. Uh, it was a small group of people and wasn't much really to offer. They said, well, we got free housing for you. So that's nice. We lived up in the balcony of the church. Uh, the balcony had been reconverted. There was a bedroom here and a bedroom over here. Uh, and then there was a living room and a bathroom. Uh, we shared the kitchen with the church down, down below. And it was all right. You know, they were loving people and, and we, we, we enjoyed it. Our second boy came along just as we were living there. So we had our oldest son, who was about ready to go to college, and then uh, the youngest one, the baby, in there. So in essence, uh, Joel grew up in the church for, for 13, 14 years of his life. You know, He dwelled in the house of the Lord. We were never late for church. Amen to that. Um, there was a little projection window from the balcony that you could take this little door out and uh, show a projector for the screen that is up in front. So uh, if somebody was sick, there was no missing church, you know. Uh, is this what David meant? Is this the attitude that David had? I, I just really want to be able to, to stay here with the Lord in this, in this building. You know? Hardly. Historical context, our passage talks about David's situation. The house of the Lord was a tabernacle, was a tent, from that which Moses had uh, uh, set up and, and the, the direction from God for its construction and so forth, all through the wilderness 
for those 40 years, and then finally onto the promised land until the temple would be built, which was uh, not David's responsibility because of his bloody hands. It would be Solomon's. But here was the place of divine worship, a place where God's presence was felt, a place where uh, he understood to worship God and a place of ministry that was the confidence that he had. There are several occasions in David's life where he became separated from Tabernacle um, during the time of the reign of, of Solomon or of Saul and David's uh, running away from Saul and, and the conflicts that existed there. And, and David's out in the wilderness and, and he writes or he sang, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, Psalm 63. He writes this psalm when he's away from the tabernacle. Not that God was not with him, but there was a place that he would come. He says, this is the place that I love to dwell. He confessed in Psalm 26, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Not heaven. You know, obviously, that'll be the, the great homecoming day. But he says, Lord, when I'm here in this place in the tabernacle, you're here. And he says, I just love it. It just fills my soul with tremendous joy. Even as David had appreciation for the house of the Lord in the Old Covenant, and he longed to dwell there all the days of his life, I think even Christians should appreciate and adore and long to dwell in the house of the Lord under the New Covenant through Jesus Christ. I think the church ought to be in our lives a place of soul's refreshment, of joy, of growth, fulfillment. To be honest with you, I'm content with the house of the Lord revealed in the scriptures. And I pray that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I have the assurance that I'll be in glory with him at one day and see him face to face. But I want to dwell here. I want the constant association with the Lord and his people. I want my relationship to be so close to the Lord that if I were to ever be absent from it, it would just strike me cold. That's not my place. I turn to him as a bosom buddy, my constant companion through life. That's what the Lord has provided for us, and that's what David felt, and that was his experience, and that's what we indeed ought to feel. Moreover, I can testify that I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and I'm recognizing what that is. I'm recognizing what the church does it provides not only a place of worship and instruction, but it gives direction and guidance for the ministry that we are all involved in and called to. It provides me with that which is satisfying to my soul in a place of ministry. I recognize that to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and for me it wasn't the case. It should be from the earliest days of my youth. For me it was about the age of 30. But if it was from the earliest days of my youth, when those who are all around me, and I can recognize, and it even sad to say myself, were out there sowing 
the wild oats. But then during the days of manhood and all through the days, the last days of life here on this earth, we could say that with the satisfaction of the mouth, of the soul, the Lord's house, being with the Lord and his people, is indeed of tremendous joy. But then the last section of this verse here, verse 4, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He says, one thing I've asked of the Lord. He says, one purpose. And he could, again, could have asked for all kinds of things. He says, one thing I've asked, and he says, that I could dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Think of that. The beauty of the Lord. God is a spirit. Not like as we see as men, and not as the beauty of the things that we see in life and say that's beautiful or that's not really beautiful at all. But I think David had two main reasons for wanting to be there. It says here to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's not the beauty described of individuals or nature, but it is the beauty of the glorious attributes of God manifest in himself. Who is God? Who is God? Provides the scriptures, and there are plenty of aspects, but I pulled out a few. First of all, his omnipotence, his power. He is beautiful because all of that is created before us. Go outside, and again, the psalmist portrayed it as we had studied before. You look to the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Who can repeat that? Who can multiply that? Who can, who can even imitate it, but none whatsoever? Who takes the, the, the seas and raises them up and takes the mountains and crushes them down? Who takes a king from this position and moves him over here and takes this nation and moves it over there? But by the power of God, his omnipotence. He's also omnipresent. Unlike many of the false religions of the world, our God is everywhere. He's not in a tree, so we worship the tree. And he's not in the water, so we worship the water and animals and so forth. But there's not a place that I go. The psalmist says, if I go up to the highest mountains, he's there. If I go into the depths of the sea, behold, my God is there. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all-seeing. Understands all of the things that are taking place. My my, my cells are just slowly dissipating, you know, not necessarily being able to think what I could have thought before or what I should have been doing before. And, and how could I even think like God in all of these situations? His holiness, absolute moral purity. You ever think of the day in which we find life is just, yeah, and yet we have a God who says, I am absolute in my purity. There's no sin that could ever approach me or come in my presence. And yet he calls us to himself because of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross who brought us into a place of purity through himself and allows us to have such. And then two others I thought of were important in his beauty, his mercy and his grace. His mercy, not giving me what I deserve, not giving me what I deserve. 
And boy, there, that could be a long line and you don't want to go there, you know. <laughs> and his grace giving me what I don't deserve. Think of the provisions that are constant. And we evaluate people, well, they deserve this or they don't deserve this. You know, and, and, and we, we see making judgment calls, but God looks farther and deeper because of his omniscience, his omnipresence, because of his holiness, and because of his love. And he says, I'm going to give them what they need, and what they have is not sufficient. Other attributes of God would show his beauty, others could readily add. But I think I'm impressed, though, with the matter of his balance. He's not filled with such a mushy love that he can't come along at one time and be able to stand against the things that are in the world that we have. God will look upon us with strict holiness, but he makes provision for sinful man to be with himself. God's character is balanced. We learn of the nature of God through several ways. We know he's omnipotent in his power and his divinity, though the things that were made all around us. We learn about him through the law of Moses. By looking at Jesus Christ, we can see our Heavenly Father. Furthermore, we learn of God through the Gospels. We learn of his glorious attributes that are drawn us as a flame standing there and as a moth, we go to them. The longer we live, the more we digest within the scriptures, the more we see his beauty. The farther away we walk from him, uh, he's, he seems to be distant and nothing whatsoever, no traction. But the more we find ourselves uh, in, engaged in that relationship with his word and allowing his spirit to fill us with those truths, the more he is beautiful, the more he is attracted to us. And it's the house of the Lord, the church, that we hear the word of God expounded, revealing to me his nature. As we sit and we digest in just a very short period of time, sad to say once a week, you know, we still are able to digest the beauty of God, to be strengthened in that. It's also here that we learn of what God wants me to do in life. David wanted to be in the house of the Lord all the days of his life that he might inquire in the temple. Inquire in the temple. The Jews learned the will of God by the revelation within the temple. The Old Testament priests had the Urim and the Thurim, a way of choosing, was this right or is this right? We can come into the house of God and the word of God and say, Lord, is this right? What do I know what to do? Where should I go? What's the pattern of life? And, and he says, these things here provide you with everything and more than everything that the Old Testament Jews had. It grants us access to right and wrong and good and evil choices to be made and decisions to be provided for. In order that we might receive and learn God's will for us in his life. So we as Christians should want to be in the house of the Lord. That we might know what is for him. Sometimes the word provides us with answers right away, but other times we have to say, Lord, take this and bring it along, along the way. 
I don't know if it's ever happened to you. There have been times I've sat down in the devotions and I've read something and it's stuck with me and I'll turn on the radio and I'll hear a radio preacher and all of a sudden he taps the same thing and I'll come along and I'll read another thing or somebody else mentions something and it's the same lesson again and again and again and again. And, and, and I'm saying foolishly, Lord, are you trying to tell me something, you know? Is, is this, are you re- reinforcing these truths that are there? If you started the sentence, as David did, one thing have I desired of the Lord, how would you finish it? How would you finish it? Would you finish it with the words of David in the fashion that he prayed? I pray that it won't be a heart attack that will bring us to a reassessment of our life. You know, some event in life. David had the ability to, and, and you know David's life, it was one of ups and downs, ones of, of classical failures in, in immorality and pride and other things. And yet the scripture talks about David as a man after God's own heart. How could he say that? Because of this very thing. It allowed David to be able to say, Lord, I love you. And although I have failures and fallen away by the side here at times, you bring me back. And because he brings us back, what a joy and blessing that is. As we meet here on the Lord's Day, it is a privilege to be able to see how God's word opens unto our hearts. How his spirit can take these beautiful truths written down so long ago by someone who had no clue about us sitting here today. And yet the challenge is for us. David's words express what our hearts should feel. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. If your intent is to walk with the Lord and to find this place to be a joy, seek after it. Don't allow impediments to get you in the way of allowing the word of God, the fellowship of the saints, the gathering together and the worship that we have here to to keep you from that worship. Allow the scripture to feed your soul that you may be able to say with David, these are the things, Lord, that I've set before you. Father, bless these simple thoughts, not just for today, but for the days ahead, that we with David may be able to say, it is in your presence that I so desire, that I would seek your beauty, for it is great, that I would find the enjoyment sitting at your banquet table and providing my soul with the nourishment that it needs from your word, as I read, as the word is preached, as I study it, that your spirit would feed me spoonful by spoonful, precept by precept, truth by truth, that it might not only feed my hungry soul, but it might be that which would cause me to know where my steps ought to be or not to be, and that I could be a shining example of truth in the day in which we live. Seed these thoughts, cause them to grow in our hearts, and we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.